Hello everyone, Bryce Ferguson here. I want to announce that in the following few weeks, I'll be launching a Patreon account to help fundraise for this brand new ministry into the Word. We are not yet a nonprofit ministry, therefore, Patreon seems like the most logical first step in the process. I pray that you will pray and consider giving to Into the Word. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Dear Lord God, the one who sees and knows all things, the one who works things in your timing, the one who works things for your glory, for your story, this is all about you, O Lord. Great and mighty is your name. Almighty in power, almighty in knowledge, almighty in all respects, you are the almighty. You are all-powerful. You are omniscient. You are omnipresent. You are God with us. You are the loving God over us. And all things work together for the good of those who love you, O God. May your people be patient and wait on you because there is goodness in waiting on the Lord. We pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Folks, last week we were in Genesis 15, and if you have your Bibles, please open with me now to Genesis 16, beginning in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, as we talked about last week. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. 
God's commandment to us is to listen to him. Not to listen to other voices, not to listen to other inputs, not to look to the world or worldliness or worldly gain or worldly ways for our foundation, for our decisions, for our direction. We read these verses here in 16, just after we read last time, in chapter 15, verse 7, that Abram, after he doubted to the Lord about the barrenness of his wife, that he had not yet had an heir, not yet had a son. In verse 7, we read that Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And now we see Abram and Sarai act with impatient disobedience. Let's look back first at Eve. If you go back in your Bibles, Genesis 3, verse 6 and 7. This was when Eve was being tempted by Satan. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, all of which were lies, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Eve was tempted, was led into sin, and then she led her husband into sin, which was also his decision. We also see in Genesis 12, starting in verse 10, Abram leading Sarai. Bear with me for a second here. Get to the right section. Okay, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And then also at today's passage in the start of 16, we see... When Abram had led Sarai into a sinful deception, now we see Sarai lead Abram. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, which we just read. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. That is true in the sense that the Lord had not given them direct children yet. And Abram listened 
uh, sorry, from bearing children, go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Okay. Well, we already know this is a derivation from what the Lord had said to these two multiple times. God had said that they will have an offspring. Not through, not Abram and Hagar will have an offspring. God didn't say that Abram and whoever would have an offspring. God said that Abram and Sarai would have an offspring. And he said it, as we talked about last week, over and over and over again. God said this would happen. God said last week in chapter 15, no for certain. He reiterated it to Abram, no for certain. When God says something, we can know for certain. The world is so aimless. There are so many voices and there is so much chaos of noise. There's so many marketing strategies and so many companies and so many movie and television and different forms of audio and video production that are vying for your attention, that are trying to get you to believe other things than what the Lord God has said. We see this heavily in the sexual movement right now that is so pervasive in our culture this last handful of years, besides the heterosexual monogamy in marriage that God says, this is the only way. This is what I have created. This is my way. This is the covenant way. And this is the way for my people. And we see the world chasing everything else. And that's because they do not respect, honor, or submit themselves to the Lord. And when you submit your way to God's way, then God is glorified and you walk and follow him on the straight and narrow path, which leads to life. And there is life and there's light and there's goodness on the path of the Lord. God establishes the structure of authority in his dominion. God sets the rules. God rules with dominion. And the man, as we've talked about before, is to be the servant leader, the servant head of his wife and his children, if they have children. And the woman is to be righteously submissive to the servant leadership of her husband. And neither one, the man or the woman, is to bring the other into sin. First of all, we are supposed to flee sin ourselves as an individual. We are to flee at the moment of temptation. We are to, to turn about 
and run towards God and run away from sin because sin is rebellion against our God, because sin is opposition against our God, because God is not glorified in our sin. Sin is evil. Sin is darkness. Sin is of the evil one. It's of Satan. It's completely what Satan is about. And therefore, the children of God are to have no part of it. And neither are we to lead or instruct another believer, let alone your own spouse, into sin. But that's what we see today in this passage. Let's go back and look at this these number of times. I think I actually had it lower when I reread and reread the text again. God had told Abram about six times that he would have an offspring, a natural child from the union with your single spouse, your one and only spouse. That's the definition of offspring. We saw this in the original call, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. We saw this again in verse 7 if you want to count each mention. Now, it was about three times total, but multiple times in the conversation that the Lord had with Abram. He mentions it a total of, I count, six times. So 12, 1 through 4, 12, verse 7, 13, 14 through 17, chapter 15, 4 through 6, chapter 15, verse 13, and then later in chapter 15, 18 through 20. And so six times, and we go back to chapter 16, verse 2, and what do we see in Sarai's spirit? And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, which means go and have sex with her, sleep with her. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. See, she's not even confident in what she's proposing. So after waiting, yes, 10 years from the original call of Abram, Sarai rushes to judgment about what God has promised, presumptuously stating, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Even worse, she instructs her husband Go into my servant. We do not see in Sarai here long, patient, perseverant waiting. We don't even see the confidence that the sin she's proposing will result in a child. And why would she think that the child birth to Hagar, her servant, with Abram, would become Sarai's. Perhaps this was cultural at the time in the pagan world, but it doesn't work this way in the Christian world. It doesn't work this way. Polygamy aside, it doesn't work that her husband would sleep with the servant who Sarai is elevating to the level of a wife, a second wife for him, and then the child 
just comes over and becomes Sarai's. There, there are so many derivations in that and detours that, that just does not line up with righteousness and peace and godliness in a Christian family. So how did Abram respond to Sarai's frustration and exasperation of waiting 10 years? When he had the choice to listen to the voice of God or listen to this proposition of his wife, we read, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. See, Eve listened to the voice of of the serpent or Satan in the garden. Sarai, when they were entering Egypt, listened to the voice of Abram when Abram led her in a sinful deception to the Egyptians, which led her to being taken into Pharaoh's house, probably part of Pharaoh's harem, and close to being or we don't know. Perhaps there was activity going on with Pharaoh. Because sin leads to other things. Because going outside of God's will, going outside of God's parameters, leads to fallout. There are consequences to our choices. And Abram didn't listen to God's voice of which God had repeated time and time and time again, that you will have an offspring. You. God's standard for marriage at the end of Genesis chapter 2 is this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, singular. Besides, that's what hold fast means. That's a marriage covenant, and they shall become one flesh. Genesis 2, 24. See, (laughs) these are all very exclusive, singular descriptors. I don't think there is any argument at any time that God's standard for marriage is one man, one woman, together for life, that's it. And apparently, in this, Sarai presumed the role and authority of giving her husband another woman to be his wife. This is very interesting. We talk about the structure as God establishes humanity. The man is to be the servant leader of his wife and that the wife is to be submissive in holiness to her husband. And Sarai takes the leadership role here. And Abram concedes from what God had told him over and over again. You know, polygamy is never instructed in the Bible. In fact, it's warned against sternly when it's mentioned. It does not put men and women on equal value and worth. It doesn't put them on an equal uh, uh connection and equal fitting together on an equal plane in value and worth before the Lord as marriage is designed to do. This is a coming together of two 
imperfect people made in the image and the likeness of God who glorify God and now can glorify God also together. And that they can represent what it is to have a covenantal relationship together that's extremely close. And as they model and they example, exemplify God's love to each other, God's encouragement to each other, God's forgive, uh, our, yes, God's forgiveness, but also how we forgive each other and we try to mend and heal brokenness. It's extremely beautiful. This is what Christian marriage is. It is to glorify God. And in that, we honor each other. It's respect, it's repentance, it's forgiveness, it's encouragement, and it's love. And polygamy, from a human perspective outside of theology, Think about this for a second. So it involves either one man and more than one woman or one woman and more than one man, but neither situation there, would any of the multiples feel equally valued in the marriage? Polygamy is a prescription then for jealousy, covetousness, greed, and anger because of what it is. God's design, one man, one woman. And how would anything but this one man and one woman hold fast, become one flesh, be representative of God in any way? It wouldn't because Christian marriage is to be a covenant patterned after the relationship aspects of our God. The rift which I think began with Abram's proposition to Sarai as they were entering Egypt in Genesis 12, I think starts to compound here. And this time it's Sarai proposing sin to Abram. Sarai could have said no earlier when Abram developed the deceptive plan to enter Egypt and pass her off as his sister. And Abram could have said no here in Genesis 16, but they both said yes. And this time, a polygamous relationship in Abram and Sarai's marriage will now get very difficult and very complicated. And that is to say it's going to be the opposite of shalom, a peace. How long had they waited till this point? Well, we just read in verse 3, it confirms it's been 10 years since they entered Canaan. That's a long time. How long did God want them to wait? Obviously, they didn't know, but even longer than it had been. And it would be, and we'll read here in a few weeks, another 14 years until the child will be born to Abram and Sarai, the child of the promise. 
but God doesn't always give us the timing. How long have you waited for something good to come across, to come to pass in your life? How long has it been? Is it easier to wait now than it was earlier, than it was a while ago, than it was six months ago, than it was a year ago? Is it harder? And how are you waiting? Are you waiting with faith in God that the God of all things and the creator God of all things loves you and cares about you and knows you completely and knows your desires and know that if you desire something good, then it may be on this, in your life on earth at this time, during these days and these years that he will bring it to pass. And perhaps it is not because it is God's story and it's God's timing, but the evidence of our faith is proven in the waiting. The perseverance of our faith. James 1.4 says that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. God has a long throw of waiting for all of us. And for each of us, it's different things, but there is a waiting and there is a craving and there is a desire, largely, I believe, for God himself in all of us. And, and that's what is the root, at the root, of these other good desires, these holy desires in us, whether your desire is you're single and you're longing for marriage or you're desiring for a different chapter in your, in your work because you want to do something that has more meaning or your desires for a child like Abram and Sarai, these desires can be very good desires. And how do we look at God and how do we look at the issue of waiting? See, some people live a very long time. Others, babies, live maybe a day and then pass from this earth. God knows the number of your days. God doesn't tell us in advance the number of our days, so we don't know how long it is that we're going to be waiting for these desires in our heart. But still, too, do we even submit these desires in our heart and lay them down before the throne of God and say, Oh, Lord, whether I am married or not. Oh Lord, whether I have a child or not, I want to glorify you. And whether that means I need to wait my whole life and never see it, then I will die on this earth and I will go to heaven and be with you in person 
face to face and see the Lord forever. And that that is better than rushing into anything here on earth instead of waiting on you. We have to get our heads around the fact that our life on earth is about God. Our life on earth is about God's story, about the kingdom of God. It's about God's son, Jesus Christ. And it's about patiently waiting. Is the thing you're waiting on good in God's eyes? Or the things, I'm quite sure it could be plural. There are probably many. Is it something that God sees as good? Then don't give up waiting on God. Depends on what it is. Perhaps God's going to give it to you. Or perhaps his grace is sufficient for you, like Paul says, without it. Maybe it's financial freedom from debt. Well, that's a good thing. Maybe you desire a spouse. Like I said, you're single or you're, you know, you're divorced and then you're single again. And you desire a godly spouse. Maybe you came out of a situation that was not godly and now you're seeking a godly relationship. That's a good thing. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's peace in your relationship. That's a good thing. But even if you do not experience it in this season or the next, this year or the next, this decade or the next, keep being faithful to God. He doesn't want you to compromise your faith in order to pay off your debt. He doesn't want you to compromise your integrity in him in order to simply to date anyone. Okay, some people are so focused on never being single that they move from relationship to relationship to relationship, from person to person to person to person. And it doesn't even matter who they're dating. From some of the people that I've spoken with and heard their stories, they just need to be with someone. That's not glorifying to God. He doesn't want you to compromise your integrity to be dating or to simply get a spouse, whoever it is, just to be married. It's not about being married. It's about glorifying God. It's about finding someone who repents and trusts also in the Lord. God doesn't want us to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. It's very clear and it's very important. And there are a multitude of reasons for that. And he doesn't want you to act in ungodliness, in frustration in your relationship. You may have struggles in your relationship. There may not be peace right now in your relationship. But he doesn't want you to act in ungodliness in that. And you may or may not be debt-free before you go to heaven. 
You may or may not get married before you go to heaven. You may or may not have peace in your relationship, though you desire it with all your heart. But we can faithfully worship God and we can faithfully wait on God. The Christian life is not promised to be easy. God never said, come to me and all of your worries are going to disappear. All the desires of your heart are going to be granted. Even the good things, because that's not really what God is focused on. Yes, he loves his children. Yes, he showers his love on us in so many ways, in common grace and in the special grace that he gives to his children. Largely, folks, in that it's because he gives us himself. He's in a personal relationship with us, and that is so powerful, and that is so loving, and that is so tender, and it's a love like something we have never known. But we are also to live a life of waiting and patient waiting at that. I've said many times in my life that patience is a lifelong pursuit, that it's a lifelong lesson, and that it's a... <laughs> Probably a lifelong lesson for every single human on the earth. Because things just don't happen in our individualized preferred timing. And you know what? God does something wondrous in that. Can you imagine what would happen to your mind and to your heart? And to the way that you looked at other people and your circumstances, if you always got everything you wanted at the time that you wanted to get it. Inherently, we would become quite selfish people, quite prideful. And how does God look at pride? He despises it. Because pride is opposition to the Lord. Pride takes us away from the Lord. Pride doesn't stitch us close to the Lord. When something good happens in your life, do you run to the Lord and praise him for it? When something difficult happens in your life, do you run to the Lord and ask him to get you through it? Either way, God is looking for us to go to him. To know that he is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he is the author and source of all things, all life, all peace, and genuine love. God is the one who gives us forgiveness, and that is something that as humans and as Christians, we so deeply need and desire is really genuine forgiveness. And this is what the Lord gives. 
the Lord brings to us a possibility for an agreement, a peace. It was through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son on the cross, that dealt with the penalty and the fallout of what sin is, and that is chaos. It is frustration, it is strife, it is anger, it is all of the negative, powerful, evil emotions. And Jesus dealt with that on our behalf. And Jesus said that the Lord, gracious and loving, is about peace. And because of Jesus' love for us, God the Father's love for us on the cross, he dealt with the penalty for sin and made a way for us to have peace with God. And God desires in us that we would be a people of peace. So how do we look at waiting? When someone is peaceful, they're calm. They're patient. They're confident. They're hopeful. They have a peaceful mind and a peaceful spirit. Those who have peace have hope because they know that the future will be held by God. They know that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Because while our present circumstances may not be what we in our individualized human mind and heart want them to be. That in hope in God, that our individual mind and heart in faith loves and trusts God that he has it all secure. That our future is secure, that it's all about the kingdom of God and glorifying God. And the God who created stars and space and oxygen, and water, and fire, and soil from eternity past also made us, right now, living and breathing, and wants to have a personal relationship with us, and that the future eternity is for the righteous union with God. It has been a progression of creation. That God created all these things in the beginning. That God created man in his image and his likeness to have a personal, close, loving, tender relationship with him. So the man would know love to a greater extent than anything on this earth. That we would know the creator God of all things who loves us more than anything on this earth. And that through the precious sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. And by putting our hope and our faith and our trust in him alone. Now sin's penalty has been dealt with. We have reconciliation with God. 
And we can live in peace and hope because we know that the personal relationship that we have with God now will come to an even greater fruition when we are joined together with him in heaven for all eternity. And that's going to be an incredibly awesome and wondrous and magnificent experience like something we have still never known. Because our God is so good. Because our love, our love, is connected with God's great love for us. See, God loves us, and then we respond in love with him. God loves you so much, so much. Whatever your circumstance, don't forget God loves you. And God loves you to a greater depth and a greater intensity than perhaps what you're realizing right now, but he does. And he's there and he's waiting for you to talk with him in prayer. And he wants to hear again what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And he's going to meet you there. So keep waiting on the Lord. Keep waiting on the Lord. Let's pray. Our great and wondrous God, the one who knows all the timing, the one who knows when and if what will be granted. Our call is to wait on you. Our call is to hope in you. Our call is to trust in the great God and Savior for all people. Jesus Christ, you came to earth as a confirmation of your great love for us, that you saw us in our sin. You saw us when we were hurting. You saw us when we were frustrated and when we were waiting and when we were suffering. And you saw us in our chaos and in our strife and in our stress and in our anger and in our jealousy. And you didn't leave us there. And it is because of your great love for us that you came and that you died and that you rose again victorious so that we can wait on you patiently and with joy and with hope. God, let us wait as an expression of our love for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 16.